So I've got two books here, Hugging Strangers, The Frequent Lows and Occasional Highs of Football Fandom, and by the same author, brought out in the same year, uh, I'm holding it in my hand, but I did see it in W.H. Smith, and I thought, what a good idea for a book, Project Restart, From Prem to the Parks, How Football Came Out of Lockdown. Uh, and it's by John Berry, who is in, in St Albans itself at the moment. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a, a lovely part of the world. My Uncle Clive is an ambassador for St Albans City, so I get along to Clarence Park semi-regularly. And of course, they've, they've been truncated, haven't they, for St Albans? Mm-hmm. Having a decent season for once, and their season gets cut off at the knees. No, well, it's the might of Jefferson Louis, their 89-year-old striker, who is... <laughs> <laughs> much much travelled Jefferson Louis, but um, you yeah, know the manager yeah. who is also uh, the commercial director of the club. It was Ian Allenson. Ian Allenson. Uh, you must have watched him play oh, football once upon a time. Because I know you wanted to talk about this elsewhere. Uh, uh, another one in the range of people whose family I've taught and taught is Sun Lee for a while. Right. Yeah, um, you will. You've taught someone whom I've, I've got the Watford mishmash over my desk, and there is a guy who's taking a penalty at Wembley Stadium in Crystal Palace colours. And he went on to be a very successful striker. But you taught him as much as you could English. As a, as a student, did Kevin Phillips understand Shakespeare and uh, Victorian literature? Kevin Phillips was a lovely lad, OK? You'll notice I've deflected you away from your question there. But he was a very nice young man. He came from quite a lot. This was in Stevenage. He came from quite a large family, one or two of whom, all of whom went to the same school, one or two of whom were, you know, happily villainous, really. Um, but Kevin was always very, uh, very, very tractable, very pleasant, and, and very good company. And I tell the story in, I, can't, I forget which book now, but I tell the story about Kevin in those days, you know, a complete, and they weren't not talking so far away, but we did have an annual school versus school versus staff football match. And of course, there were one or two of us who were sort of like past lumberers. We knew a bit about the game, so on and so forth. And we'd heard that Kevin was a decent player. And he came out and he played against us. We said, yeah, yeah, it'll be good. You know, it might, be, might even make semi-pro, actually. It'll be fine. And there's a wonderful story about Kevin. He left school. Nothing denigrating about him at all. He might have had a, you know, a half full of, 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 of GCSEs, of lower grades, let's put it like that. But he was always a nice lad. He left school, went to work, went to play for Bulldog Town as a fullback, you know, the way football works, bit of luck here, a good performance there. He went, to, he went to Watford, as you know, from there, where the story was that nobody trained like Kevin Phillips. And I think there's an interesting story there, isn't there? Because here was a lad who had gone out, gone out to work, played semi-pro, got his break, and had obviously said to himself, I want to hold on to this, mate. I don't want to be getting up at six o'clock in the morning to get to work anymore. Precisely. This is much, much better. Yeah, And uh, And I think that that's what's made him the player that he is. I genuinely do. Mm, Yeah. Talent only takes you so far, as we know from many hundreds of cases. Uh, Glenn Roder passed away last month, and Kevin Phillips yeah, was part of the Glenn Roder Watford side, which was early 90s. You probably know people who saw Kevin Phillips play. He's now assistant coach at 
Part of me says Leicester, but I don't think that's right. Uh, maybe Bournemouth, actually. I do like the fact that when he is on television and interviewed, he's clear, articulate and sensible. And that, that's good enough for me. And, I, you know, it's kind of what you want from people that Absolutely. you've taught. Have they gone out into the world and conducted themselves well? And I think that Kevin has at every turn. I was very fortunate. I was got four kids, by the way, and his cousin, cousin-in-law is Jess Phillips, which I did not... That could be a... I didn't know that when I found that out. I was very surprised. No, they haven't really updated it, but I do. I, the listener will be yelling at me. But yeah, um, Kevin gave a talk to some Sunderland fans, and for one reason or another, I was up there listening to him, and they, he's obviously beloved up there for yeah. obvious reasons. But yeah, it's the hard work, and also having Niall Quinn as a strike partner in those days, yeah. and very briefly at Birmingham City. Incredibly, that must have been. Well, fun. he did the rounds. He went everywhere around. You know, went, went, went around all the clubs. Um, and of course, had that fantastic thing where, in most cases, he got one over on whoever he was playing at. I mean, I remember he came on against the Wolves uh, again a few years back, and we were one down. And I remember talking to him about ten minutes to go, and Kevin scored with just two amazing pinpoint finishes from you know from within the box. And talking to again some Wolves friends of mine, who just said. We knew he was going to do that, you know, we knew he was going to, and he did that time and time again. I've, I call Whenever him... Whenever he played four last, he came on and scored yeah. against them. I call him <laughs> Kevin Bloody Phillips, and it was his goal. I'll be talking with Richard Foster later on about playoffs and Palace, and Kevin Phillips nice, neatly goes into that Venn diagram, yeah, so I'll, I'll move on. Um, this book, Project Restart, which was written last June and July when football got back in, um... It comes across from the book that um, of what, or what I've read at the moment that football is the most important of all the least important things. Who said yeah. that? Was it the Pope, Albert Camus, Pele? Do we know who said that for Shankly? I think I think it was something that was said generally in about April or May in the sort of commentary act in the football general commentary act. There was a real recognition that it wasn't important, you know, that the world was on, you know, was on its knees, but that it was important. So I think it was a phrase that I heard in one form or another being iterated by a number of people in a number of different circumstances. And it certainly is. And it was it seems strange to look back at the time, but there was no association football played in Britain at a time when it would have been the business end, as opposed to what? The non-business end? Yeah, the, the, yeah. Probably the, the pens hovering over the contracts. Um, but yes, Watford had been... It's such a shame because Watford would have stayed up had the momentum shifted. Nigel Pearson wouldn't have got sacked. I noticed that you're very kind towards Big Nige, who's just had his 500th game in football management. Yeah. Um, beat Man United, beat Liverpool, going great guns. The world stopped and thus Watford went down. And now we've got to play people like Birmingham tomorrow as, yeah. as this goes out. So Quite possibly not for long, Johnny. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, and also you were given a helping hand by our neighbours or a non-helping yeah, hand. Yeah, we know the, the goal that wasn't a goal. The Absolutely yeah. bizarre. But there we go. Who wants to be in that yeah, division I mean, anyway? It was a very, very interesting time. And watch, and I just did have that sort of, well, look, I had nothing else to do like any of this. I thought, 
I'm just going to chart this for a while. And then very quickly, I saw the possibilities for a book and pitch, thank goodness, and I'll always give a shout out to them, said, yeah, go on, go for it, but get it done as quickly as you can. Thanks very much, yeah. I thought. Uh, and I did, but it was, you know what, honestly, this can sound a little bit mealy-mouthed, but it was a privilege because what it enabled me to do in what were, during lockdown, two astonishingly hectic months was speak to loads of people, get in touch with loads of people who are involved in football clubs. And for your listenership, I start at Burnley, and the reason that they were my premiership club was because they got back to me, and that tells you something when I, when I approach them. And I take it right down through the four divisions, down into the National League, down to the Southern League, and then a couple of Parks teams, and then my local St Albans girls team. And I chart what they did in these few months as they came back to life, as they started training. But it's a great story. And at a time when football and footballers can be the subject of real uh, uh, disrespect and real opprobrium, this is the word I was going to use. Embarrassing. Just, in, just embarrassing for the people who... He's an ignoramus. The guy who said step up, ignoramus, and we know it. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You know, absolutely absurd. And, and the cl- not just the players, and well done the players, but the clubs themselves and the sort of infrastructure, the sort of the, the, the frameworks around the clubs did amazing stuff, absolutely amazing stuff. And just looking at the uh, the picture plates in the middle, which are immaculate, there's the new manager of Oldham, Keith Curl holding the trophy as manager of Northampton Town. There's Dale Vince. Oh, wow. I wouldn't have known what he he looked like. Uh, Dale Vince, whom I'd love to speak to, probably the most fascinating owner of a football club in the country at Forest Green. Have you been there to the Um, I haven't because... Here's a lovely thing. I spoke to their CEO, a guy called Henry Stalens. I hope I pronounced his surname correctly. On a number of occasions, he was incredibly cooperative and helpful. And like everybody to whom I spoke, from top to bottom, they all said, you have to come and see us. We'll make sure you, you know, do your hospitality and what have you. Big shout out for Daryl Eels from Solihull Moors, who, you know, a very busy man, could not have gone further out of his way. Mark Halios at Tranmere as well extremely helpful and cooperative and when it comes to the guys down in the lower leagues they were they just bent over backwards so as i say it speaks very very well of what football is and what football can do yeah two kinds of football the one that's trying to break away to form an uber league and the one played by the likes of Royston Town FC. There's a lovely picture oh. of Adam Hanlon, the team leader at Garden House Hospice, which is local, displaying his season ticket, which is a reward for the Crows' fundraising effort. So Royston on the doorstep of St Albans in North Hertfordshire. Um, what will I read in Project Restart about them? Oh, you'll read about a club that did so much for its local community... And that picture absolutely sums it up. That when the possibility of football returning, with even with pre-season friendlies, 
spent so much time and trouble to ensure everybody could get back safely and enjoy themselves. Uh, for me, and I tell the story in there, I knew things were on the up when I came in and there was a lad, a little boy, holding his dad's hand at the burger van, saying, it's a quarter pounder, bigger than a half pounder. <laughs> Just absolutely wonderful. And also in that game, it's one of my fondest memories, they had a pre-season friendly, Royston, you know, which you could get into, uh, and against Kings Lynn. And I talk about this little group of Kings Lynn supporters, God bless them, who would come down there. I can't quite remember how I phrased it, but these people had clearly determined single-handedly to make up for the loss of bar profits that Royston had found and oh. undergone in previous months. <laughs> <laughs> so just a great afternoon to remind you what football's about, you know. And the other thing as well, and I really don't want, and I mention this in everything I write about, I don't want to suggest that things were wonderful in the old days, but you know what? You watch Royston Town, two blokes go in for a tackle, the ball comes out of it, no one rolls around, no one yelps, they get up, they might even give each other a hand up. It's a game of football, you know, and I have to say, there's something that's been you know, massively appealing about that. Yeah, and the spirit of what Birmingham City played in the 1980s is alive and well, certainly at St Albans, whose captain, Tom Bender... That is his name, with the long throw and the greased back hair. Uh, when I saw St Albans play last, he went in at a tackle on a miscreant and got sent off. And it was obviously a straight red. Um, but there were other sendings off and it was, it was a crazy ending. And you create your own narrative. And yet fans were complaining that the price of entry had been raised from like 14 to £19. Look, if you want this to survive, bloody contribute. Contribute to a local organisation who are not just about playing for the 90 minutes, but a community club who, whose football pitch gives people something to do twice, three times a fortnight. And it's, it's wonderful. And if that football club isn't there, go to Wealdstone, go to Barnet, go to Boreham Wood, go to Hemel. Um, and then, if you want, watch football on the telly. Because... It's where British life is, I think, the football grounds. Um, do you hope that when things do get back, there will be a younger generation who will go along to their local football team, more so than before? It, I had always hoped, um, really from about the sort of late 90s, when it was clear that the Premier League was taking football in some kinds of directions that we didn't want to see. Look, don't get me wrong, you watch a Premier League game on telly and you look at the level of skill yeah, and ability yeah. on it. It's absolutely beyond belief. However, I had always hoped that people would start taking their children down to Wealdstone, over to Royston, down to St Albans, because they would say, you know, Mummy, Daddy, I want to go and watch football. And Mummy and Daddy would say, well, you know what, let's, let's go here, which is, you know, where I took my son, first of all. There's a playground, a little playground next to Clarence Park. And I always very carefully made sure we were there at about quarter past four. So that at 20 past four, we could, you know, the old-fashioned thing, sneak in for nothing. Yep. And I've always hoped, and it is my abiding hope, that football at that level can start doing something more to attract people that say, if you want to watch football, then actually 
nothing beats coming out on a Saturday afternoon, you know, dad, mum goes for a pint beforehand, you get a bag of chips, you know, you can sit and watch with your mates, you can go and run after the football when it goes out of play, uh, and, and then I think you're hooked. So I do wish clubs, and I have to say I do wish uh, some of the clubs around me were much more proactive in saying, if you want to come to football, come and see us. I completely agree with you, Johnny. Mm. You go to talk to Stonewall FC and Northumberland Park Rangers, who are both completely well, amateur. Love that. Yeah. Uh, Stonewall, actually, I mean, obviously they're a, a social project as well as a football club. To talk to those guys is, is absolutely wonderful. And there's great, great comic moments in there, uh, particularly talking to, um, uh, you know, to, to their manager, who told me this wonderful story about how gay football in particular has taken huge strides. He'd say to me, to me to what used to happen, this was at Stonewall, he said, we would play someone. You know, we'd go for a, for a beer in the clubhouse afterwards or whatever. And someone would say, I think it was all right to say to him, say, would say, you'd never know you blokes were gay by the way you played football. <laughs> they were great. I loved them. And Northumberland Park Rangers, bless them. That was, I mean, I know, you know, I'm Birmingham board, but I've lived, you know, around here for ages. Talk before about, you know, metropolitan, cosmopolitan places. Northumberland Park Rangers is what London is like. Uh, people from all over the world, people speaking in different ways, just, come, uh, but you know, the whole thing, giving up their time to run the account, to get the kit and all the rest of it. And just so that blokes can, you know, I know that they, they, don't get me wrong, I keep saying blokes, men, everyone plays football and quite right. So um, they can go out and play football on, on a Saturday or a Tuesday or whatever. It's the chapter, Grassroots Football, working for diversity and inclusivity as we approach the new normal. Um, Linesmen, don't be daft. Flags are thrust into the midst of those too slow and stupid to make themselves scarce. And they're lumbered. Um, How did you come in touch with them for the first time? Uh, I had a scout around Facebook Mm -hmm. uh, to find clubs who were playing in North London. And again, as with so much, actually, of this particular book, it was who got back to me, and they got back to me straight away. And I regard these people now, uh, but, you know, they're not lifelong friends, but they're like mates now, you know, because, of course, you talk on Zoom. And the great thing was, we just had that little window around about August, September, October, where you could actually go and see where we met, where we actually met, you know, <laughs> sort of the same place, talk to each other. And yeah, wonderful. And there's a wonderful little story about them, about their ref, old Kwame, who was just hilarious. And I, I, I said, and he refereed the game of these, you know, great lumbering lads, you know, North London boys kicking seven shades out of each other. He refereed the game with all the firmness and purpose of an angry Jamaican parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was great. Northumberland Park Rangers based on White Hart Lane or near, or in Tottenham. That's where they, yeah, that's where they started playing. Yeah, they, they started have, trading at the bottom, yeah. Founded yeah. in 1958, so I guess they were a, a Windrush team. Yeah. Predominantly black, Brazil, Portugal, DR Congo, and even a Romanian goalkeeper. Um, Romanian goalkeeper. So race can overcome. Football can overcome 
race. And they play in, is it, the, what did I just read? The Barnet Premier. Yes, um, they do. Barnet and, Sunday. And of course, they too, once again, have gone the way of all flesh this season. Shame. There we are. It's horrible. And you can't play Power League and you can't play football. But I, I'm sure that there will be a government drive, not just to shop, but to play football and do the park run, which I think is coming back very soon. And maybe they'll get, like, Alex Scott or Ian Wright to do a kind of Lord Kitchener poster. Britain needs you to go down to... um, Well, there's a question here from Paul from Harpenden, who says, why are Hanwell Town better than Birmingham City? Go on. No, Mr Bishop wanted to ask this question. I don't know if they're better than Birmingham City. I think what Paul's referring to there is that when football started up, and we had those few weeks, a whole bunch of us, very diverse set of guys, actually, you know, friends and friends of friends, we set up a little group of us that went that went round Hanwell Town and uh, all kinds of places uh, just to watch football. We were back up to Royston uh, just to see football on a Saturday afternoon. It was absolutely lovely. Enjoyed every single moment of it. Why, why Paul of Harpenden thinks that Hamwell Town are better than Birmingham City, although they're probably giving them a half-decent game, I don't know. But we did have a great afternoon there. Yeah, and Again, I, exactly the same. I spoke, I spoke to Paul about his book From Father to Son. Uh, I'm sure you oh, know yeah, his son, H. And uh, obviously it hit home for me because I know most. I know the modern-day story, but not of the 70s and 80s in Watford. And it, it just goes to show how pitch gives the opportunity for writers, big or small, to tell the story that they want to tell. And I hope to pitch them uh, a book in the coming weeks about the FA Youth Cup. Would you go and see Birmingham play Youth Cup games as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. And going back to what we said, I think it's about people establishing the habit of getting out the house and going to watch football and I think one of the interesting things about that is, I think a lot of, like myself, a lot of people have missed that midweek more than anything else. The whole business of a Tuesday night saying, oh, come on then, we can get out of the house, go for a pint, go and watch a bit of football, back by half ten, that's fine. I, 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 I wish that would get woven back into people's lives, actually. I did that once. hell of a lot happier for it. I was living at home and mum turned to me and said, get out the house, you should be out. And eventually I just, I went out, realised Watford were playing a League Cup match, I think it was Bradford, and just went. And it was a nice use of an evening because I could walk to and from the stadium, it was even better. Um, Sure. But it's getting more expensive on match day, but some things have changed. And readers of Hugging Strangers will note that you point to five things that made up the football ground as it was? Do you remember those five things that, that hit the senses? Yes. Well, the, the smells were, if I remember correctly, and I don't know how delicate you want to keep it, but... I, I do, beer, do use the chemical name. Uh, beer, onions, smoke, masculinity, and the most prevailing one of all, urine. I cannot imagine... Going to an old football... I started going to Spurs where you could smoke on the terraces. They, I think they were just about to outlaw it. And the pub ban came in in 2006, which was very fortunate. Um, but yeah, beer, sweat, onions, masculinity and urine. And just the... It really was... It was a place where men went. I uh, went to White Hart Lane firstly and then Vicarage Road. And by the time I went to Vicarage Road, 
all I remember is the angry, shouty man that always seemed to be three rows behind. But oh, yeah, yeah. One great thing about Watford, we're not racist. And I think you mentioned in the book with Birmingham, Birmingham isn't a racist place either. It, it is one of the things about which I am most proud of my club. There have been moments, you know, and I've had words and I've heard of other people have had words. It's not, you know, that wonderful. But there is an oddity. Now, I've said in Hugging Strange, and I made it absolutely clear that I wasn't going to write about uh, the, the so-called Zulu army, the sort of notorious gang of hooligans that, that followed us wherever we went, or indeed write anything, there were tangential references to, you know, the days of hooliganism. But I suppose if, like most of us, if I was proud of one thing about the old Zulu army, who were a notorious, notorious crew, um, they were the most multiracial, multi-ethnic bunch of people you can ever That's wish good. to meet. Yeah, they'd only... There would have been no room for racism. Could kick it out. <laughs> they'd, they'd kick your head in just because you wore the wrong kind of jersey, not because you had the wrong kind of pigmentation. <laughs> Um, so, hug- what an advance for civilization? <laughs> Project Restart and Hugging Strangers both available through Pitch. At this point, John Berry, I do give you your football library card. It is laminated. You can choose to have Ron Saunders on it, but I've got Brian Glanville on it for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably right. I think there are some some good writers about football. Oddly. I was never a huge fan of the, of the person they always point to as the Dwyer, or Hugh McIlvanny. I always found him a bit pompous and uh, supercilious, to be absolutely honest. But I, I did used to like David Lacey hugely. And I think there have been some, even though we berated some of them before, there have been some very good books about football. And I think, is it Colin Imlach's book about my father and other working class uh, heroes? Gary, Gary Imlach. Yeah, yeah, Gary Imlach. I thought that was an outstandingly good book. It is, because it's not about football. It's about fatherhood. And I wonder, I'm not going to ask the Oprah Winfrey question about if your mum was a widow, you must have lost your dad at a very young age. But I did, yes. At four, in fact. Yeah. So did did that, and anything about fatherhood kills me as as a reader or a writer. But those books, which are about fatherhood, uh, Duncan Hamilton's written one, Colin Schindler's written one about the summer bees. Yes, the Colin Schindler one, again, I think is particularly affecting, actually. Mm-hmm. It's more about just the chain. And as a, as a Jew, Judaism for me is about being links in a chain rather than praying five times a day and not eating bacon, although I don't. Sure. Um, football has that religious aspect. It's well known. And, and yet religion doesn't give you the high highs and the low lows unless you count bereavement, which is a different thing. But you've never felt bereaved you didn't feel bereaved when you watched Birmingham lose 6-0 at White Hart Lane all those years no, ago? No, 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 no. I mean, th- 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 absolutely not. Look, in those days, for me, you know, as with everyone, getting beat meant having to put up with rubbish at school. That was always the abiding thing. Oh, my God, I've got to go to school tomorrow morning and cop it again, or, you know, on Monday and cop it again. So there was that... I do, however, I mean, it's interesting you use the term bereavement. I don't know whether I can disaggregate this from my greatly advancing years, but the predicament that my club currently finds itself in, where I can see no 
real glimmer of hope for the future where I can actually see aspects of it dying on its backside. I wouldn't go as far as to say bereavement because we know what bereavement means. But I do think that I may be witnessing the slow and tortured death of something that means something to me. Mm. And that does worry me. And, and I'm not alone in that. And goodness knows, I hope that that's hyperbole. And I hope that someone does manage to snatch us and make us a viable prospect again. But, you know, we have the model now. We have not so much Berry and no disrespect for them. They were a very moderate-sized club. But we have Bolton, and we see the lower divisions littered with pretty big city clubs who are, you know, there by a thread. I do worry about us. And that's not bereavement, but it certainly will be a grievous loss. I can't see how there won't be in the next two years a championship club because they've had to fix things. They've had to buy back their stadium or whatever to earn some money. But you just need, please, there needs to be some kind of sensible model. Please stop gambling on going up. I spoke to a bloke in the research in the research for Project Restart called Rob Ferguson from, uh, from, a university, from Sheffield University, I think it is. Lovely bloke. He was saying, that's not even a bet anymore. Yeah, it's a certainty. Some of these clubs will go. Said it will happen. Expert in football finance, you know, said this is going to happen. I think David Conn, who again Jeez. is the sort of Dwyer of football finance, believes the same as well. Yeah, and David Conn's interests match your own actually. Politics and football. Uh, David, I love his book Richer Than God, which is basically yeah, but that's kind of the summary of his book about Man City. Uh, I can't let you go without mentioning two things. Boomeranting, your memoir, The Diary of a Modern Nobody, which is available for free if you subscribe to Kindle Unlimited. Um, Can you just give me one sentence about Boomeranting? Yes, a collection of essays that rail against the world, but which also find it very funny. Jolly good. And you've continued that spirit with the radical read. Uh, which is on WordPress, and it's been going for the last 18 months or so. Uh, the strap line is, not a safe space, especially for the guilty. I find myself getting annoyed at both parties. I don't know. And as a fourth generation Jew, I don't have much skin in Britain. I'm a citizen here. My dad lives in Long Island at the moment with three very young kids. And I, I, I have lots of friends who are musicians or whose careers have now stopped. I live in a town which fortunately has a very good... Uh, a couple of very good aspects for tourism. We've got Harry Potter to my right, football to my left. Watford General Hospital is undergoing 10 years of refurbishment at the moment. It's actually uh, in the same group of hospitals as St Albans Hospital. So I know you're of advancing years, but you might well end, not end up, you know what I mean. If you have a procedure... I know would, exactly what you mean. You know what I mean. I, I will have to avail myself of those services perhaps more than I've been used to in previous decades. How have you, have you had both vaccines yet or just the one? That one, yes. I had one about three weeks ago. Jolly good. So, so we're good there. Yeah, I mean, interesting. I mean, on the blog, um, I don't make any pretense about it. I'm, I'm left-leaning, um... I've been involved in, in, in huge trade union campaigns and anti-racist campaigns. With the NUT? My life. So, yeah, I was, I was, in, yeah, I was, yeah, I was a, a senior NUT lay official for many years, and I have been since in the, in the lecturer's union. But I do completely understand 
your disillusionment with politicians of all stripes. And, and I have to say that uh, I, I, currently I am particularly disappointed, not just with the Tories and the terrible mess and this terrible legacy in terms of death and economic deprivation, but also in the refusal of Labour to stand up to them, mm. you know, for fear of being seen to be against the national interest. They're playing so, a long game. They're playing a very long game. But as I we've seen in America, just because the Democrats get in doesn't mean the Republicans can't win it back. We're a long way from who do I reckon was the best centre-forward to play for Birmingham, aren't we, Johnny? But there we go. <laughs> well, I know, I know the answer to that. I don't know what to do about this country. Um, do you know you know what we really need? We need a Prime Minister married to a billionaire, Rishi Sunak. And you know what else we need? We need, effectively, Blair Mock 2 leading the opposition, or Andy Burnham. It, well, here's the final question, actually, because this also goes um, to, and I'll once again plug, Hugging Strangers and Project Restart, both available 12 um, John, you are on Twitter as well. I am, uh, although I have to say, a reluctant hoverer. And I know the publishers would like me to be on it more frequently, but I am a reluctant hoverer. The the uh, better thing to do is to contact you by email, which you say several times in the book. Um, is it not, John? It is, N-U-T-J-O-N at AOL.com. And actually, an interesting thing, you said earlier on about the book, you know, is it, didn't quite use the word, is it parochial? One of the fantastic things, I do get emails pretty well every two days, from people who've read the book to tell me how much they've enjoyed it, and they do. The ones I treasure most of all, and it's interesting talking to you about it, Johnny, is from is from supporters of other clubs who say to me, this, you say this is about your club, mate, but actually I'm sitting there going, we do that, my club does that, I think that. So those are the responses, and I have had a number that I have treasured even more than those from my fellow Blue Noses. Ah, well, if I were born in Birmingham and had the Peaky Blinders accent, I would... Oh, that's the other thing, Peaky Blinders tourism. That would be fun as well. But, yeah, the, the final yeah, question Stephen I wanted to... Stephen Knight, the creator, is a Birmingham City fan. Yeah, that's and right. I'm to get him to do some sort of... But they're, they're pretty well impenetrable, these people, which is a shame, really. Yeah, well, just toss it over his garden fence. The final question, Andy Burnham, Prime Minister in waiting? Yeah, I think that, I think he has his eye on that prize. Not, well, not a question I was expecting from you, but I think he has conducted himself carefully and prudently during this. So, yeah, quite possibly. I think you should send him these books. I think he'd get a kick out of Hugging Strangers, The Frequent Lows and Occasional Highs of Football Fandom. And Project Restart from Prim to the Parks, How Football Came Out of Lockdown. When's the next book? Uh, Funnily enough, I've been writing to publishers this morning. It's about a completely different matter. I'll give you, but I'll give you a taster because I, I do think it's a, a really interesting topic. Well, I would say that, wouldn't I? I am writing a book about someone called Oswald Augustus Gray, who was a who was a, a, a Windrush immigrant, and who was the last man hanged in Birmingham in 1962. And I'm writing a social history with that gruesome event at its centre. That's brilliant and also topical because publishers, they want stories of black people because after 100 years of white, it's now... Yeah, you know what I mean. 
Uh, I, I think, do know that. I do. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that topicality will make it popular. I hope so too. And also the hook is that it's 60 years since. And uh, just looking... And at the time, 1962, uh, Birmingham survived. Uh, they were playing yeah. in the, the first division. And you must read this book, Hugging Strangers, because I now know how Birmingham... How has it come to this with Birmingham City? Well, there are still strangers to be hugged, although we are not in a hugging era at the moment. As long as you can hug your kid and your grandkid, that's the important thing, John Berry. It absolutely is. And goodness knows, we've found out what's important and what's not in the world in the last year, haven't we? And if we haven't, then we need to take a long look at ourselves. Just like the library! Just like the library! 